Welcome to A Week is a Long Time in Politics, topical political talk for A-level politics students. Tune in and join in the debate. Okay, so to begin with, and I think I'll get um, Clive to start just talking about this one, we have got All Things Truss. So it's about um, our new Prime Minister, relatively new Prime Minister, Liz Truss, um, who's enjoying her honeymoon period at the moment, Clive. 37 days, apparently. I was really okay. surprised because it, it feels an awful lot longer. And when you think a lot of that time was taken out with mourning for our, our previous monarch, then what a start. I mean, if Offset came in and looked at the government now, I think they'd probably have significant failings. And I, I tried really hard to find some positives and try to be balanced and appear impartial. But when you get the, the king inviting her into her weekly audience yesterday, are you back again, oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> and when you get a, an article in The Economist saying that she's got a shelf life of a lettuce, then you, you tend to think that things have gone pretty, pretty badly wrong. And I've got my phone next to me here because I'm, I'm waiting to see whether they're going to do another U-turn because mm -hmm. whilst dear old Quasi's in Washington at the IMF, it sounds like they may U-turn on, on corporation tax. Mm -hmm. And obviously the, the main focus is this so-called um, fiscal event because we weren't allowed to call it a budget, but if we did, the OBR would tell us how crass it probably is. Mm -hmm. And I honestly don't think either she or Quasi, either one, both, whatever, are going to survive to Christmas because apparently the mood uh, amongst the conservative bank benches and the conservative grandees and people in the past who have supported the, the conservatives like Max Hastings, former editor of the Daily Telegraph, is that she is just dragging the party into into total oblivion. However, I come from a certain political perspective, and and maybe I can be persuaded otherwise. But I think she's been an absolute disaster yeah. for conservative party, the country, and we are now looked on from abroad with a degree hmm. of, degree of ridicule. So ain't I mean, going good. No, so certainly the polls did a dramatic shift, didn't they? Sort of uh, are following the following not i mean i mean there was a shift following the uh mini budget but then certainly following the market's reaction to the to the mini budget there was a massive shift in the opinion polls and at the moment labor have got a very big lead people there used to be a, a sort of joke meme on um twitter about oh any other leader would be 20 points ahead or whatever it was a sort of continuing thing and and uh yeah because that, that never happens well it it, it is <laughs> it is happening at the moment and, and 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 then a little bit more um so that's quite interesting. I mean, shall we sort of go back to the beginning a bit there? So Liz Truss won yeah. the Conservative leadership contest reasonably comfortably against um, Rishi Sunak. So she was the popular choice of Conservative Party members, not so much of MPs. I think MPs yeah. went more for more for Sunak and the, the members went more for for, um, for Truss. Yeah. Um, 80,000 people back to the end, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so... Yeah. Bring that, bring that into an essay about how democratic is the United Kingdom. And we have a <laughs> prime minister who is supported by yeah. 80,000 of, of the Conservative membership. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, there's... I interesting, actually, because obviously in the UK, we vote for um, our local MP and they run on a manifesto. So in that sense, we're not supposed to have another election of the prime minister stands down. Although I felt the way the leadership contest was fought was quite interesting. So... Mm they were putting across policy ideas and what they would do as prime minister, which all they really should be saying is I'm the best person to continue the 2019 mm. manifesto. Yeah. So I thought it was interesting that that mm. wasn't really challenged. 
Yeah. I mean, to a certain, I mean, to a certain extent that that is what happens, isn't it? Because leaders want to kind of present themselves as going to do something different. So I'm just trying to think of previous time. You know, obviously there've been previous occasions where, you know, I mean, when Boris Johnson took over from, from Theresa May, it wasn't on sort of, continuity 2017 admittedly there wasn't that mandate from 2017 in the same way as there was from 2019 um so i suppose it is the norm isn't it in a leadership election to say i do something different because people that's how you get get people to support you but it but but there is that yeah as well because of crisis it gives them power to do that so that's true Mm. as well the mandate yeah, I mean, the mandate is an interesting concept here, isn't it? Because, as you know, Clive said, not that many people voted, you know, in this. I mean, the, when she was doing her conference speech, we had the people um, holding up the holding up that sign saying who voted, who voted for this. Yeah. Um, and I think that was particularly about, um, you know, environmental issues, wasn't it? Fracking and things, things yeah, like that, which we, we, we may come to later, potentially. Um, but... You know, it is a broader question: who voted for this? Who, you know, bringing back fracking, but also, you know, tax cuts and, um, you know, potentially benefit benefit cuts or changes to the to real terms benefit cuts. Um, mm. So there is that mandate issue, isn't there? And 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 about representative democracy and the nature of our democracy. Um, so obviously, most of the things we'd say about Liz Truss would link to prime minister and the role of prime minister, but that's sort of broader point about democracy and the mandate and um legitimacy and that kind of thing um and possibly do you think that was an you know i mean try we're all trying to be very um balanced here but do you think that was possibly an error then to try and do too much too soon to to be to change too much too soon because you don't really have a mandate to do it that maybe you know maybe you need to it was part of PMQs yesterday, wasn't it? On whose mandate have you got this, mm. this, this to go on? And it, it kind of goes deeper. I mean, the, the thing I hated most teaching in uh, Component 1 pretty much was think tanks. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you go and dig a little bit, then there's taught that Liz Truss is, is very much influenced by, get this right, the Institute, is it, of Economic Affairs? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is a, a far-right think tank, which was set up in 1955. And it's kind of more right wing than the Adam Smith Institute. Yeah, so, I think we should we should be slightly cautious of the term far right, but yes, right, yeah, very, yeah. Okay. I very right. Not. Yeah, no, hard yeah. right. I don't know. I don't know what the I don't know what the appropriate yeah. term is, but yeah, not not a. It's not a fascist. Uh, thing, then, thing, yeah, like. Again, if you look at where some of her funding came from during her election mm. um, yeah. leadership campaign. Then it, it yeah. came from people who, who would support that those form of economics. Yeah, and she dropped quasi in it, didn't she, when she was interviewed on Laura <laughs> Sunday? It was his idea. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it was his idea, and he then said, "No, it's Chris Phelps," and they're all trying to disown the, this forty-five p tax. Yeah, um, so th- so that's interesting uh, for a collective responsibility and all that, yeah. and all that kind of ministerial responsibility and all that kind of thing, isn't it? Um, Gordon I mean, Brown's for for at one point as well, right? So it's trapped oh, it's- there yeah. that's what it was, Keir, it was Keir Starmer's fault it was Gordon Brown's fault yeah. it was um the, the, the Queen's Queen fault yeah yeah <laughs> so the, 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 lots of people to yeah. blame for it um I mean interestingly that the ideological background I mean I don't, don't want to say too much about ideologies here but I mean it is that kind of new right sort of libertarian economics yeah. isn't it which sort of says tax cuts mm. are, the, are the route to growth and that's what that's the argument that they're in that this is a, a growth um budget 
or fiscal event, and that um, you know everybody who opposes it is the anti-growth alliance um, or the anti-growth coalition or something, isn't it? Um, yeah. Sounds like yeah. a sort of eighties punk band, I think. But if they, <laughs> if they, um, you know, obviously if they U-turn on this, I don't know if that means they've joined the anti-growth coalition. But um, apparently, the IMF know, is also in the anti-growth. Yeah, yes, yeah, part of the anti-growth coalition. But it's. Um, but it's interesting because it doesn't feel like a sort of consistent libertarian perspective because, I mean, for political, perfectly understandable political reasons, but you do expect it, them also to say, well, we're going to cut some, we're going to cut some public spending. I mean, this was a big spend, you know, in many ways it was a spend, spend, spend budget, wasn't it, fiscal event? I mean, for obvious and sensible reasons, the issue with the, the, the um, with the, with, with energy bills needed, needed significant government intervention. But here you have a kind of weird combination of the big state intervention and and tax cuts. It's a it's a ideologically it's quite problematic. And is that partly because of Johnson and the sort of leveling? You know, the the twenty nineteen in, intake and um, agenda and mandate wasn't for an austerity type. Let's let's cut let's cut spending type Conservative Party was it? And so. Is that part yesterday, of the issue? I mean, yesterday at PMQ, she said that there would not be a yeah. cut in public spending. But it, it's a question how you do statistics. Yeah. Because if she's including in the energy bills as public spending, obviously that's a, a huge amount. Yeah. And then you could, pay, you pay, could pay, cut. Pay yeah. Who's paying mm. for it? Yeah. And you could. They, they were, sorry, we're, we're suggesting it should be through windfall taxes. Yes. Mm. And they're, they're borrowing. And it's the, yeah. the, the excessive borrowing which appears to have, have led to the. Yeah. Yeah, and you could have cut a lot. You know, you could cut a lot and still be spending the same or more, couldn't you? Because of this extra, this big extra spending. So it depends how disingenuous she's being when she says there won't be spending cuts. They, yeah, you know, overall public spending might stay the same. That doesn't mean that there aren't cuts in. Yeah, because it's not going with inflation, and they mm. are kind of dodging that question about real terms yeah. cut. Yeah. It's just been a lot of it has just been paid for by borrowing, so it becomes the next leader's problem, and it's almost yeah. like a a fire sale. Like they can mm. see that the ship's going down, so they're just trying to implement some changes that they've kind of seemed to have wanted to do in terms yeah. of new uh, policies and economics. Okay, just playing devil's advocate for a moment. I'm going to do this in two ways. Um, one is, okay, you know there wasn't a mandate for these changes, but just imagine for a moment there had been. So imagine for a moment there was a big public desire for tax cuts, etc. Shouldn't a government be able to do that without effectively speculators, foreign markets, external bodies, essentially stopping the British government from being able to... Do, you know, we had this referendum a few years ago, is that take-back control and all this kind of thing. I mean, here's a real big illustration of how the government doesn't have control. You know, these things that are, that are not accountable to anybody, these people speculating on currencies, etc., um, can effectively stop a government doing what, what it believes it should do or wants to do and, and potentially in the future might have a mandate to do, even if it didn't on this occasion. Um, I mean, is so that so I played devil's advocate for one point. Is this is this um, an unacceptable infringement on Britain's parliamentary sovereignty by you know bodies external to the UK? Um, and then then my other question is actually 
although the initial reaction was really serious and thing any end the pound tanked and all that kind of thing you know and this is this is kind of the line that's being <laughs> pushed by some uh, conservative commentators at the moment um things have sort of stabilized um actually you know we're probably going to have better growth than quite a lot of our competitors over the next few years according to some <laughs> some statistics you look at depends which ones you look at um you know was there actually a massive overreaction and was this partly fed by the media who possibly were pushing a a sort of pro labor position or swallowing swallowing um rhetoric from the labor party that 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 wasn't necessarily true and and essentially they created the panic rather than there actually being any need for so there's my two yeah. two, two uh, play devil's advocate questions there I remember the Daily Mail though that the headlines, the front page after the cuts was finally some sensible yeah. economic. So yeah, they, yeah. they were pro it, I think. Yeah, um, there were quite a lot saying this is this is the first. Con- I remember someone saying this is the first conservative budget for. And I can't yeah. remember how many years they were saying, but very long. Yeah, this is a proper conservative budget. Yeah, mm, and it was yeah. a budget, not a fiscal event or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very quickly, yeah. Um, but yeah, like the first question, um, it was interesting to see the IMF intervene in the way that they did it's the mm-hmm. first time i think they've done it to a, a g7 country um and yeah we're thinking about state sovereignty the state should have the ability to decide its own spending um how it raises its revenue through taxation or not um so it is controversial in that sense that they've been able to kind of interject disagree with it and because the markets are so interconnected it's had such mm-hmm. a huge impact as well so yeah. it definitely does challenge that idea because this is the imf interjecting and ironically like talking about its concerns about increased inequality mm-hmm. um but if it's if we accept it doing it in this instance then we're legitimizing it doing it in other incidents when it says that like with ethiopia that they were doing too much public spending yeah. and building hospitals and things so yeah it, it is very t- problematic ground yeah yeah I, th- I mean there is that issue isn't there yeah i mean the, the point about the the temporary nature of the economic um, crisis. Obviously, that was partly due to um, the Bank of England, intervi- the Bank of England's intervention, and that is a temporary intervention. And so, uh, the you know, I don't think we're out of this yet, actually. But it's just that, yeah, there is that that argument out there that maybe maybe there was an overreaction to yeah. to what happened. I think the next twenty four hours again will be interesting because America's just hike their interest rates mm. which again will have an impact on the relationship between the dollar dollar and the pound yes. and but because of um opec reducing the amount of oil in circulation mm. then the price of oil is going to go up and as that's paid in dollars and etc mm-hmm. etc then again um i mean one of the people i follow on twitter you know for my sins is robert peston mm-hmm. and he is, he is saying our oh, outlook on the next 24 48 hours unless there are major u-turns on the budget are going to be pretty pretty drastic and not not in a good way. Yeah. So, I mean, I I, th- I personally think to get off the fence, I thought it was total economic incompetence based on <laughs> a political ideology, which, as my good old pal Joe Biden said, trickle down economics has never worked very effectively. So mm-hmm. I, I think we we have to accept the fact we are part of a globalized world, and therefore if we make decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the back of a fag packet, uh, there will be implications, and sadly, those implications impact on the people who are least able to actually financially yeah. cope in this country. Yeah, yeah that's my speech for leadership. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I don't want to go down a sort of um, a sort of rabbit hole of, but there's like there is some sort of uh, economic theorists, I think, modern monetary theory. I don't know. You can find stuff about that if you sort of Google. Who have been arguing for a long time, more from a left perspective that oh actually you could spend a lot more money than we do because we're you know we're a sovereign currency and you can just borrow more etc and this does undermine that as well doesn't it because uh, you know whether whether we're borrowing more because we're cutting taxes or because we're spending more you know there there is this impact that actually the british government doesn't have yeah. doesn't have control over how the uh how the markets will react yeah. to these just, things. just but, to one point out there there's mm-hmm. always this assumption that we don't want to pay more taxes and I know many people, I don't know many people, I read about many people who were were saying, I can afford to pay 45 pence over 150,000. Hmm. I actually, when I first started work, which is 1979, say it quickly, the basic rate of, basic rate of tax was 33%. Yeah. And the highest rate of tax was 83%, unless you were mega stars, and it was 98%. And... We, I, it's it's bizarre. Our our direct taxation has gone very low, but we get caught up in indirect taxation, which yeah. um, you know, VAT when it first came in, I think it was eight percent, and now yeah, it's seventeen point five, whatever it yeah, is. Yeah. But, but I, I do wonder that notion. You know, or people you know want to keep more money in their pocket, etc. Mm. etc. Well, there's a balance between how much taxation you pay yeah, yeah. and how how well maybe effectively utilized in in paying for services mm-hmm. i mean you know, the biggest on the nhs today are horrific yeah, and i yeah. personally wouldn't object to paying a little bit more mm-hmm. if we had an effective nhs service which isn't going to go away with an american insurance company in the next few years yeah yeah we've got a question here i'm not sure i totally understand it but i brought it on the thing because yeah. maybe maybe one of you two understood it more is the reality of how markets work for a policy who has a free market ideology only if they don't really understand how markets work in reality um so i you might need to sort of add a little bit to that just for us to totally understand what you mean but i mean i think there is an argument that you know if you're coming from that sort of free market perspective that maybe um you know, as as uh, you know, Clive was saying that you know you could, you maybe should have been able to anticipate in a globalized world how the markets might react to that, and 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 you know that you do have to, if that's your ideological perspective, then part of that is kind of balancing the books and all that and that kind of thing. Um, it's also not accepting, even though apparently they had the information from the OBR to release any information from the OBR, which yeah. seems to be a neglect of duty. Okay, we could talk about um, Liz Truss for a very long time. I mean, I suppose we just do a quick prediction. Is she mm-hmm. going to stay Prime Minister? Um, how should we put this for the rest of the... I, I, I think there may be some... I, I'll, I'll be, I'll the I think um, there may be some turkeys that survive closer to Christmas than Liz Truss. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll revisit this at some. I'm sure you will. That will come back and haunt me, won't? Yeah, she's been prime for ten years or something. Because we've got another question through, and again, I need to know a little bit more. Uh... Oh, here we so, go. Yeah. Um, it's one about Labour. Just to quickly, but sort of, do you think that Labour's plan for a green economy is sustainable? Um, so I presume this is the sort of the new green, uh, uh, new green deal or Green New Deal, is that what they call it? Um, which, I mean, the various versions of this, so there was the kind of the version that um, sort of Jeremy Corbyn and Becky Long-Bailey were 
um, promoting back in 2019. Um, it's changed a little bit, but I think some of the same people are still very much for this. Um, I suppose it depends what you mean by sustainable. I mean, environmentally sustainable. It's more environmentally sustainable than than not doing or a different different approaches to growth. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is something that's going to involve a lot of um, public spending. One thing I guess that is different is if it's public spending that is clearly for investment. Um, yeah. You know, the a lot of this comes. It's and it's it's sometimes it feels a little like a game and it shouldn't do because it affects real people's lives and, and people's pensions and all these kind of things. But there is a lot about which column things go to go on in a, in a budget and a lot of spending that's kind of infrastructure investment and things isn't seen as something that's, that's been spent and gone. You know, that's, that's money that you're going to, you're investing for the future. And so it's treated in a, in a different way. So although there might be borrowing to, uh, to, to pay for it, it's seen as borrowing where there's a clear, um, you know, there's a, the, the, yeah, there's a clear kind of uh, um, outcome. outcome later. Yeah, so things like yeah, building things, building um, wind farms, and and things are seen as different from um, cutting taxes or or actually kind of day to day spending like benefits and, and welfare payments and things like that. So they are they are thought of in a different way. Um, but it's a perfectly reasonable question to ask: Are they? Are they, uh, you know? Are they going to be? Um, you know, are they going to be, uh, you know, is, is, are other parties spending commitments also problematic? Um, so people have... I was going to add to that as well. It's kind of, it's an interesting uh, route that Labour's gone down, kind of focusing on that, uh, on the kind of green policies. And um, I think it shows kind of the power of Extinction Rebellion. So if we're kind of thinking about it in terms of um, the success of pressure groups, mm-hmm. they haven't made any change in terms of legislation yet right but i think about 80 percent of the population now care about the climate crisis and Uh they feel like there should be action and i think that's kind of a direct correlation with the activism of extinction rebellion and it's interesting to see kind of labor picking up on that and they're merging that concern um with sustainability with now the concern about energy so the energy crisis and um, the activism of Extinction Rebellions kind of merged together to make this perfect opportunity yeah. for Labour to put something like that forward. Yeah, and I think that's probably the point about the they might have to fall back on fossil fuels if needed because if it's, you know, initially when this was being proposed, it was very much a proposal for dealing with the environmental crisis. It still is that, but it's also now also a proposal for dealing with the energy crisis. And then there's an inevitable questions about well, what if, what if there isn't what well, if we don't generate enough energy from renewable sources you know you still need other sources it's, it's of another it's an example isn't it of a clear divide now between the two main yeah. parties yeah you um, think oh, about oh, compared oh, with fracking yeah. and that kind of thing yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah okay i'm gonna move on to sorry if yep. um anyone else is coming in on that but uh, we're gonna move on to russia ukraine which is something we were debating last time we were doing this which is quite a while ago now but it's it's obviously an ongoing um global crisis um as well as a a local crisis for 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 ukraine um what can we say about this today kira do you want to start us off on on yeah i think you know when we're thinking about those of you who are studying global global politics but i think it also does link into the u.s Hmm. politics as well um it's 
in terms of what's been happening recently, we we saw just last week there was a um, attack on uh, the bridge that connects Russia to the Crimea, um, and Russia kind of responded, claiming it was terrorism, and has since then launched a very heavy uh, bombing campaign on Ukraine. And I mean, Ukraine is obviously just really resisting, and Russia's quite surprised how long this has gone on. So, like credit to Ukraine for that. But obviously, we're thinking about a politics exam. It's not a military exam, so you don't need to be talking about the military actions and things. But the thing that's quite important to kind of keep an eye on with these campaigns is more so the kind of way that countries are responding to it. So we can think about we've got like the Western Alliance. So you've got places like uh, organizations, sorry, like NATO and the EU. And they've responded very strongly by putting in sanctions on Russia. Um, and those sanctions are kind of starting to hurt more um, for Russia. And I think that just reinforces this idea of globalization and interconnected markets as well, in the sense that, you know, a Russian car, car manufacturing plant, they are struggling to produce their cars because they get their, I don't know, spark plugs or materials from other countries in Europe and other places uh, around the world. So that's, I think, something that's quite interesting to keep an eye on. Um, but uh, in the way that Ukraine has allies, so does Putin, and he's obviously a very political mastermind. Um, and it goes back to the oil crisis and, of mm. course, um, OPEC as well, which has grown substantially since 2016 to even include Russia now. Yeah. So the more that the EU's kind of tightened the screws on Russia, we've seen um, Russia tightening them back on the EU yeah. and as well by yeah. get, encouraging OPEC to produce less oil, which then mm. turns up the cost of petrol and of course energy as well. Mm. So it's an interesting kind of yeah. development. I mean, another, another point um is i guess part of the aim of sanctions i mean just thinking about this from a sort of global politics point of view is to kind of impact policy in in russia and i suppose probably ideally lead to a regime change in in russia but there is a risk i would argue that 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 happens in a way that wouldn't be good for ukraine or, or globally because you know a lot of the pressure you know there is pressure certainly from a more liberal moderate side coming on Putin, but there is at least as much pressure, and perhaps in some cases a more powerful pressure, coming from the ultra-nationalist, um, you know, hard right, who their main concern is that that Russia's not doing as well in this war as it as it should be doing, and wants to see Russia see looking stronger, being more dominant, um, and you know that might be one of the things that influence the 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 airstrikes, you know, that we've just had that you know that that russia was kind of humiliated by the bridge bomb and therefore needed to kind of um fight back in that in that respect and the the kind of um losses that russia has had in the east of ukraine um you know is putting pressure on putin but it, it in some cases it might be pressure to 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 act you know more you know more militantly and more um you know, mm. rather than pressure to, to 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 back off or to to um and and the sanctions could have that impact as well couldn't they you know you think sanctions are gonna have a positive impact people are gonna say oh well we don't want any more of this let's get try and get back to normal but it could also lead to a you know to something of a cold war mindset you know that this you know us and them this is you know the world's against us sort of sort of thing um so that there's 
there's risks at it, isn't there, for the globally? I mean, obviously, the the biggest risk is the continued continued conflict in Ukraine and the impact it has on 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 you know civilians in Ukraine and and also soldiers in both in both countries. But um, yeah, so that's just an, an, another aspect of it. Yeah, and there's like there's a lot of moving parts with it actually, and 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 in some ways, um, if the sanctions are successful and Russia ends up having to pull out of the war, then that kind of proves this triumph of globalization and the power of um, the so-called international community to kind of jump in when something is seen to be wrong, like taking away someone's national self-determination, for example. So if they're successful, like they were against South Africa uh, in the 90s, and that kind of does does prove that. But I think the key thing that's different here is it Russia still does have allies, right? When we're thinking about um, mm. the oil producing nations and obviously thinking about um, India and China who aren't sanctioning Russia in the same way. Mm. So it's, it's mm. interesting to see because they're BRICS as well when we're thinking about India and China. So yeah, yeah. how is that going to play out? Is it going to be that Russia is going to continue to be this kind of pariah? And we saw mm -hmm. that in the UN, the General Assembly just yeah. had a vote to condemn them. And I think it was like 140, so it was 143 countries mm -hmm. voted in, to condemn Russia's illegal yeah. invasion. But then, like, it's the General Assembly, yeah. the the Security Council's obviously they, not... They, they still have their permanent membership and uh, veto on the Security Council. So, yeah, there is yeah. this, you know, interesting global phenomenon, really, isn't it, that... It, it yeah. plays into hard power, soft power globally as well, doesn't it? Absolutely. And people saying that Putin has used energy as a to weaponize the mm. situation. And yeah, you absolutely. know, watch this space. Twenty years time, the resource may well be water that becomes the, the weaponization. Yeah. So, yeah. Obviously, there's one of my predictions. No. Obviously, there's a lot more we could say about that. I wanted to because yeah. we had. Yeah sort of a good um nearly half an hour on the conservative party at the start I thought we we probably ought to touch on things that are happening in in the labor party as well don't say too much about this because you can overstate these things but um there have been some issues i suppose there's two two things we could talk about i mean i think most labor uh sorry, certainly Keir Starmer or whatever would be quite pleased with the current situation long way ahead in the polls um if there were an election now it would uh it would um be a big big Labour win according to recent polls um, but they have got some problems going on um, within the party as well and there's this sort of continued factionalism mm. um, obviously we've still got a situation where the, where the previous leader um, doesn't have uh, doesn't ha doesn't currently have the Labour whip I mean, it's a, that's an unprecedented situation it's still, it still hasn't been resolved we don't know if there was an election tomorrow, whether who would be the Labour candidate for Islington North or whether it would be the current MP. So there, there are those issues ongoing. Um, they're sort of feeding over into other things. So this week, Sam Tarry, who was a um, shadow minister until quite recently, he was a shadow minister under uh, Jeremy Corbyn, he was a shadow minister under Keir Starmer as well. He was the last lefty standing or the last uh, Corbynista standing in the uh, shadow cabinet, as some people put it. He's been deselected by his local party. Um, now, lots of ways you could look at that. Um, I know one of them is to say, oh, well, you know, that process of deselection was something the left wanted. They wanted to be able, the local members to be able to remove MPs that they didn't feel reflected the political views of their local members. And so, although it never happened between 2015 and 2019, it could have done. It has happened now um, against a, a, a left wing 
MP. There are a few other places where this process is called a trigger ballot has been um, brought into place as well. So Poplar where uh, um, and also Coventry. Um, the Coventry process has ended. That was Zara Sultana, and she she actually won it won in every branch and and, and union branch. So it's not that it, this is like a sort of wholesale purge of the left that's occurring, but it's um you know it's something that isn't being very widely reported because everyone's more interested in what's happening in in Downing Street. But it is quite an interesting phenomenon. Where will this go? A lot of the unions, not all of them, but a lot of the unions, um, favour the left in this argument um you know sam tarry one of the reasons he's been in the press in recent weeks was because he was went on the picket lines uh during like the rmt um strike etc um well after keir starmer had said that he didn't want um mps doing that that's how that's why he left the shadow cabinet he was sacked from the um shadow shadow cabinet for for going on a, a picket line well or for the comments he made about it, you can Comment, debate, yeah. debate debate precisely what what led to the <laughs> what led to the sacking. Um, but I mean, actually, I, I was saying this to Keir earlier. It was probably, yeah, people saying, "Oh, was that why he was deselected?" I think actually the reason he went on the picket line was because of the threat of deselection. He was kind of shoring up his base, if you like, and trying to get his supporters to be more enthusiastic um, to, to defend him and that, that didn't happen. Um, but it is a potential problem for the Labour Party and there's also been these documentaries on Al Jazeera which have received very little um, <laughs> uh, coverage anywhere else. Um, no one's really, doesn't seem to be interested in them but it's sort of leaks from the Labour Party's um, uh, disciplinary procedures and things that shows kind of really kind of bitter factionalism at times and, and some very difficult things that have been going on. So there is this kind of, it's not the story people want to tell at the moment, <laughs> as you can see from the polls and things, but there is this uh, this story that's going there as well. Oh, there's got a question about that. We have yeah, had some, that we've had some interesting int questions about other points yeah. as well. We'll just Yeah, and it, it kind of, so... Tom asked about the Conservative Party, and he says, "Will they be? Will they have to right, reinvent I'll... themselves?" But no, I, I will stick with Katie's one because it's kind of the Labour Party's also kind of had to reinvent them, themselves mm. in the sense that they're trying to reclaim, as um, Katie's put it, this kind of centre ground of politics because obviously. Mm. Uh, the way that it was presented in the media, uh, Labour was completely decimated. Mm. Um, so. Yeah, maybe it is more of a shift towards the Lib Dems because the Lib Dems, after their time in in Parliament, uh, sorry, in, in the in government, ended up kind of shifting a bit more back yeah. to the left, reclaiming that ground. If we I, think I, about, yeah, go yeah. On. I was just going to say, I think we'll see because this is what we've seen in the past when Labour's gone more to the centre is that the Liberal Democrats can afford to be a bit more radical on some of these issues because they're, mm. they're not they're not going to win. You know, sorry, putting it <laughs> putting it putting it politely. So so. <laughs> so um you know it could well be that on some issues we see you know labor outflanked on the left by the by the liberal democrats um i mean it's not really a left right issue in the same way but certainly on brexit we're going to see uh, you know when there is an election we'll probably see the lib dems coming in with a either a let's have another referendum or let's renegotiate or some sort of yeah. thing and and yeah. starmer's you know very much despite him being mr second referendum in 2019 is is very much um you know it's you know we're we're not we're not reconsidering we're not reconsidering that so 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 there is that issue that i suspect you know in trying to hit the center ground they will find themselves 
outflanked. They're probably not worried about it at the moment because the polls are very much in their favour. There's the potential for problems. I mean, I remember it's not that long ago, three, four years ago, we and there was lots of talk about Change UK. Everyone thought Change UK was going to be a bit of a, yeah. you know, bit of a big player. It's going to yeah. shake things up in British politics coming in at the centre ground and you know they'd got conservatives and labor big hitters or at least reasonably well reasonably well known names in there and they totally tanked not heard it yeah members have now either gone back to their original parties or they've joined the lib dems or or whatever um and likewise the sdlp years and years ago yeah yeah, the sdp uh and obviously they did better than they did better than change uk in 1983 they they did have quite a big impact um Mm. In helping Margaret Thatcher, <laughs> so, 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 you know, you could you could argue, but um, but but my <laughs> yeah, but um, but Change UK didn't have any impact at all, did they? Even on that first European um elections, you know, yeah, they didn't have any impact at all. So, you know, there is a risk that Britain isn't looking for the centre ground at the moment. You know, that 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 we're all really polarised and we're all really angry and. <laughs> And we, and we want people, politicians, who come up and agree with us in the, in this argument. Um, we've got lots of interesting um, questions coming yeah, in. The role question. of the media is key in nudging opinion in politics. They've been openly yeah. partisan in a way that arguably impacts democracy in the UK. Now that's interesting because I bet that I don't know which way Big Hen for is suggesting no. that they've been openly partisan. Um, but I suspect supporters of both the main parties will feel that the media has been openly partisan for the other, for, for their opponents. Um, so all the way through the sort of 2015 to 2019, Labour supporters felt that, I mean, obviously the, the things like the Mail and the and the Sun and stuff are openly partisan anyway, but the, the, even like the BBC and stuff were being pro-Tory. Yeah. You see an awful lot of stuff now with people saying, oh, the BBC and everyone is being pro-Labour, you know, there's certainly that's a lot of Conservative supporters are, are saying that. Um, they were getting that, upset about the jokes on the BBC, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That, have I got news for you? I mean, if you, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're mean about... We're, everyone, don't we're mean about, um, yeah, Boris Johnson. They're trying to last leg and they want to get upset. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, does... Was, was blaming BBC, yes, wasn't he? Jacob yeah, Rees-Mogg. yeah. And, he wasn't going to answer the question because he felt it showed the BBC's impartiality. Yeah, um, may actually show his sensitivities, but uh, yeah. I, I do think though it's interesting. The last bit that Big Four says is, is that the way it impacts democracy in the UK, and yeah, yeah, actually, exactly. right, like the role, one of the roles of the media is to educate the public about mm-hmm. what's happening in the news, and yeah. we are seeing this kind of. Obviously, there's always going to be media is going to be partisan, but it's just been so openly in the mm. sense that it's at the cost of truth. And I think yeah. this is yeah. dangerous territory in terms of the health of the of British democracy. Which is this the kind of the, yeah? Is this the newspaper democracy? The yeah. newspapers, the newspapers yeah. and things. Yeah, I mean, with yeah. the kind of print media, well, sorry, with the kind of broadcast media. I think yeah. You know, some people say, well, if everyone, if the left and the right are offended and feel that you're against them, then they're probably getting it about right. You could yeah, argue that actually. Maybe they're they're being openly partisan for the centre, and if that you know, so therefore they're upsetting people either side. And if that's the case, then that might well benefit Keir Starmer coming in the in the future yeah, potentially. Of, it does you know, seem to be going trying to it claims the centre is like common sense politics, mm, and that's really the thing that's been called for, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, 
We've also had a question there about proportional representation, but I think we might have to leave that for another time because, you know, mm. that's a big, big debate. Obviously, Labour Party conference voted in favour of, um, you know, uh, changing to proportional representation. Um, that doesn't mean it will be necessarily in a manifesto. Um, watch this space, I suppose, see whether it's it would be. Cynical, and heaven forbid I'm at all cynical. If Labour win a massive majority, <laughs> we'll never hear as, it. As, as, <laughs> as, 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 as happened in 97. If they benefit from a majority, the they'll keep it. Yeah, mm. I fear I fear that's probably true. Um, 97, it was in the manifesto that there'd be yeah. A, yeah. A, a report into it and then a, uh, and then a referendum. Um, there was the report yeah. and they Roy <laughs> recommended Roy, Roy Jenkins, Jenkins, recommended AV plus, but nothing else happened. Um, okay, I'm going to very briefly we haven't got time to talk about this at all because we've yeah. gone on for ages but yeah. militant birders um rspb might take direct action it's just good for a, a pressure groups type thing isn't it because we think of them as being a nice um you know polite insider group really don't we the you know um cause group um but you know there's only so long you can be polite <laughs> um, I mean, Clive, have you got anything to say about it? It's not just RSPB, well, of course. There's uh, lots of uh, yeah. yeah it, very briefly, once I had a very embarrassing parents' evening, where I had to explain to a parent that her child had the fantastic ability to alienate everyone in the classroom. And on this particular environmental subject, we gone from extinction rebellion to um, various other, perhaps more extreme pressure groups to 1.2 million RSPB members over 5 million of the national trusts who in every textbook are put down as being passive checkbook memberships yeah who are absolutely up in arms and ready to protest and mm. complain bitterly about the uh, policies particularly on fracking mm. but obviously uh, sewage in rivers and seas and the mm. way that the current government appear to be not taking a great deal of care over over the environment uh, yeah, Liz yeah. trust yesterday saying that she's rather have farms for farming and then solar panels so right. it's it's just this you know bizarre thing where we're getting the more extreme pressure groups now being joined although probably mm. in a more docile way by yeah by traditional pressure groups but they've got huge numbers behind them they have they and have. and with that the you know the wealth that it, it comes with it as well yeah. so an interesting one where they just amalgamated together in in protest mm. yeah watch this space i suppose see where you know they haven't ruled out Direct action, you know, if if the RSPB came out in number, it would yeah. be pretty pretty dramatic. Although, as you say, the National Trust, I mean, the National Trust, well, both of them, we sort of think of, oh, well, the people join them because they want to go to, they want to go around stately homes or they want to go and look at yeah. birds in, in Leighton Moss or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, will they will they come out in number? They'll sign petitions in number, but will they, will they <laughs> do direct action? I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. So, uh, before we go, should we have our predictions for two weeks' time when we next... Uh, have one of these conversations. Any what news stories do, do you think we'll be discussing in a fortnight? Massive U-turns, conservative <laughs> backbench rebellion, 1922 committee will change their rules, and Rishi Sunak and Penny Mordaunt will be standing prime ministers to keep Grant Shapps out of the job. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's I mean, a, there's a yeah, there's a major else. prediction. <laughs> Is everything that's happened and keeps happening in the last few months, right? Mm. But, um, yeah, the last um, bit, I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah, I imagine it's going to be more U-turns. Um, and I don't know, maybe we'll see what's going to happen. Yeah, um, I think it might take more than a fortnight to 
<laughs> for, for, for that to play you out. Like you, never... you wait till the National Trust get under this. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> There's um, yeah. I think because people are pondering there being a general election um, maybe sooner than there has to be, although I'm not sure they're, they're right to ponder that, but they might do. Um, we might see some movement on what is going to happen about Islington North. It is still an interesting you know, thing. It, it, will, yeah. will Jeremy Corbyn yeah. be the candidate there? Um, I also wouldn't be totally surprised if we didn't see um, some issues about the whip being withdrawn from a couple of more MPs. Um, I know there are. I, on the one hand, I think Keir Starmer would probably quite like a bit of a quiet period um, I think he's shown that he stood up to the left and, and now would probably like a bit of a period where he can, you know, because he's dominant at the moment in the polls and stuff, doesn't need to, to show this. But I know there is quite a lot of pressure from moderate members that people who are being too vocal on Twitter and social media in their criticisms of Keir Starmer ought to be made an example of and are probably the one who gets picked on the most is Diane Abbott. It would be hugely controversial to withdraw the whip from Diane Abbott yeah. for, a lot of, for lots and lots of reasons. So I, yeah. I, I'm not making that prediction, but I think there could be calls for that. Um, okay. We will find out, won't we? So if you want to join us next time, I think Kira and I are going to have a debate about the House of Lords uh, next week. We're going to debate... Yeah. <laughs> whether yeah whether we're going to abolish the house of lords or not and then in a fortnight's time uh we'll be back for discussing more uh news and politics so we will see you then uh thanks very much everybody thank you very much kira thank you very much clive thank you very much our um viewers and listeners and we will see you uh next time cheers guys bye bye, bye, -bye. bye, -bye. A Week is a Long Time in Politics has been brought to you by Tutor to You Politics for all your A-level politics resources and revision workshops.